when you see something amazing, something incredibly awesome and beautiful, you can't help but want to share that experience with other people. You might go home that night and at the dinner table share what you saw that day. Or the next day you might go and have coffee with someone and tell them, I had this experience and it was incredible. But what you might also do in the moment of having that experience is you might try your best to involve other people in and make them join in on the experience that you are having because it's so incredible and wonderful that you want to share that with other people around you no matter who is around you, stranger or friend. This always happens when it comes to dolphins and whales. Whenever we see a dolphin jumping out of the water or a whale breach the water, we can't help but go, wow, and turn to whoever it is next to us. If they're young or old, it doesn't really matter. We'll turn to them and say, did you see that? Did you see the dolphin? Did you see the whale breaching? Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? And they'll go, whoa, where is it? Where? And you're like, over there. And all of a sudden, you just become this person's best friend. You broke down every social convention possible. The idea that we don't talk to strangers, no way. But when you see something incredible like a dolphin jumping out of the water or a whale breaching the water, you can't help but share that experience. You don't want people to miss out because what you are seeing is amazing. But also what you're seeing is in right in front of you. It's in the flesh. It'd be different if you're in a cafe, for example, and you're on your phone and you go to someone and go, hey, check out this Google photo of a dolphin. How cool is that? <laughs> that would just be weird, right? And the stranger would be like, what are you doing? Please get away from me. But when we see something in the flesh, when we see that dolphin come out with our own eyes, we can't help. We have this courage all of a sudden to go to a complete stranger and say, did you see that? And they don't think of you as weird. They thank you for inviting them to see that experience, that you can join in with them. This happened, I was going to say tonight, this happened to me and Katie whilst we were in Queensland. But Katie sent me a message this morning and it happened to her as she saw a whale breaching. She turned to the person next to her and before she could say, hey, did you see that? He turned to her and said, did you see that? The whale breaching in the water. It was crazy. We love to share experiences of incredible beauty and wonder with other people, even if they're strangers, because we don't want them to miss out on that experience. And we'll pluck up that courage to talk to that person we don't even know, never met in our life, so that we can share that experience with them. When it comes to talking about Jesus, I wonder, do we have that same excitement and joy, desire to share Jesus with other people, perhaps we don't even know? Or with people in our workplace, our neighbours, our friends? I'm not sure that we actually do. Whenever we have an event put on church, whenever we have an opportunity to invite friends who are not Christians to something that's happening here at church, we often have this sense of, oh, oh boy, okay, I've got to go to work and pluck up the courage to invite my friend at work to the next men's breakfast or to the next event at church, especially designed for non-Christians. Okay, I just got to do it and then I can get off my chest and Jimmy can get off my back about asking people to invite them to church. And the reason why you often have this kind of feeling, this sense of pressure, is because you look at the, the world of your workplace and you compare it to the world of your church and you think they are just so far apart. How on earth would they 
come to see Jesus by transplanting them from here to here. It just doesn't seem possible. And it makes us not excited, but it makes us feel concerned and we get worried and we're like, how are they going to take it? Are they going to enjoy it? And we get really nervous about it. And so we often will just be like, "Ah, do you want to come to church this Sunday? And just do it really sneaky and sly. We don't do it boldly because we don't actually believe that it's going to work. And but all I want to say is, is that's actually okay. Because I think when we do that, we're actually jumping a few steps ahead to what we actually need to do. We are treating it as if like we're trying to transplant people from A to B like that. When the Bible talks about the journey of faith being much like, just like that, a journey of coming alongside people and journeying with them as you're on this journey towards seeing who Jesus is. That's what we see here in John's Gospel, in this opening chapter. People are invited to come and see Jesus. And the expectation is not that they will just be able to come to this worldview straight away, but rather that as they journey with those who are also beginning to see who Jesus is, they too will be able to see for themselves as well. So as we close out this series, this Merge Your Universe series, my hope is that you'll be encouraged that seeking to invite people to see who Jesus is is so simple and easy. And when, when we can understand why it's so simple and easy, that ought to make us very excited because what we are inviting people to see is good. What we are inviting people to see is not a Google image of a dolphin, it's the dolphin in the flesh. It's something incredible, something amazing, something people will thank us for as we show them who Jesus is. So there are two points I want to make tonight. The first one is the way of seeing, and the second point is the fullness of seeing. So firstly, the way of seeing. There's a repeated phrase throughout that scripture reading we had tonight called, that said, come and see. Jesus said that first, come and you will see, to the two disciples he was speaking to. And then we have Philip, one of the disciples, say to his friend Nathaniel, come and see. Come alongside me and see who this Jesus is. And we're going to talk about those two phrases now. So the first time, Jesus begins, though, with a question. The disciples of John have been following John for some time now. John has been uh, talking about who Jesus is to them and he has probably been super annoying to a whole lot of people because when people come to him and ask him, who are you? He can't help but answer in regards to the negative, who he is not. He says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not a prophet. I'm not Elijah. And then people are like, well, who are you? What are you doing here? Tell us. And he says, well, I am the one calling out the desert, make straight paths for the way of the Lord. He keeps tying up his whole identity in who the Messiah is, who Jesus is. He doesn't really care about who he is. His mission is tied up with identity, and that is pointing towards Jesus, the Messiah who is coming. And we read in verse 32 and 33 that he uh, did not know necessarily who Jesus was. He knew about the Messiah and who when he was coming, but it was the Spirit of God when it came upon him and just kind of zapped in or revealed to him who the, Jesus was as the Messiah. And at that moment, he was able to see, yes, this is God's chosen one. In verse 34, we read this. He says, this one, this is God's chosen one. I have seen him. And so he receives a special revelation of who 
Jesus is, of who the Messiah is, a direct revelation from the Spirit of God. But the actual way in which people come to see Jesus is much more ordinary. The Spirit seems to work through other people, inviting their friends or their neighbours to also come and see Jesus. And that's where we see here. The two disciples who have been following John for some time now, they come and then John says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold, there He is. The one the Spirit has told me about. That is Jesus, the Messiah. And they go, Sick, thank you. Jesus, we're following you now. Bit harsh, isn't it, to kind of drop everything you have and go, Thanks, John. Jesus, hello, how are you doing? But the reality is, is John he wouldn't have been upset by that at all because John has his whole identity tied up in pointing his disciples to Jesus and saying, this is the guy you've got to follow. And so they're probably thinking, great, we've finally found him. And then Jesus says a very interesting question to them. He turns to them, seeing these two guys follow him, and he says, what do you want? What are you seeking? It's a really interesting question to begin this journey with. Jesus is saying, look, if you want to follow me, you've got to follow me for the right reason. You're going to be pretty disappointed if you're following me for the wrong reason. In fact, he says later on in chapter 7, in verse 17, he says this, Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. In other words, he's saying that only those who are seeking God will they be able to see who I am. And he's saying, if you just want to follow me because you want a guru, some advice about how to make your life better, you're going to be disappointed. You're not going to want to follow me for very long. But if you're seeking God, if you want to know who God is, then you will see that I am from God. You will see that I am the one that John has been talking about. I indeed am the Messiah and you won't be disappointed. And so they respond to that question with a question, which is kind of annoying, but they do so. They say, teacher, where are you staying? Which is really interesting. I didn't understand that to begin with. What are they trying to get at here? But I think what it's getting at is that they have heard so much about who this Jesus guy is. They have heard from John that he is the Messiah, the one that was promised, the one that has finally come. But they know there's more to it than just what's in front of them right now. And they are saying to Jesus, look, we are those who are seeking God and we trust you're the one that God sent. So we're going to take that step of faith and follow you so where are you staying today? Because we want to be where, where you are. And it's a great reminder that when we are talking to our friends, our neighbours about Jesus, we're actually inviting them to take a massive step. They are going to take a massive step out of their worldview where they have known everything, it's all been fine and good, take a big step out of that into a new kind of world where Jesus is the centre of it. And they're not going to fully understand everything here, just as the disciples didn't fully understand what they were getting into as well. And because they had that faith, Jesus says, come and you will see. Literally, come with me and you will see who I am. And sure enough, they did. We read on that one of them, Andrew, 
called his brother Simon, who became Peter, and he said to him, we have found him. We have found the Messiah. When we invite people to come and see Jesus, we must recognize we're inviting them to make a big step of faith. And that is why it's so important that we don't mislead them. It's so important. That's why we've got to ask them, do you want to find God? Because if you don't, then you're going to be disappointed. But if you do want to find God, then let me invite you to see Jesus. Let me help you take that step of faith to see Jesus. That's the first instance. The second instance happens a little later on. Jesus, so Andrew goes out and calls his brother, Simon Peter. He ends up following Jesus. Then they all travel up north to a place called Bethsaida. And then they find a guy called Philip. And he gets called and he finds Jesus. And then Philip then goes to his friend Nathaniel and decides to say, hey, come and see who Jesus is. Do you see a little pattern going on here? They are going to their friends, their family, people they know and trust first. They are going to them and saying, hey, look, we have found the Messiah. Hey, look, we found the one that has been promised about all that years ago. You should come and check him out. They don't go to people they don't know yet. They go to people who they have a relationship with, who they trust, but also who they trust them. And so the good reminder for us is when we go out and invite people to come and see Jesus, we've got to build a relationship with these people. We've got to build friendships of trust. Because what we are inviting them on is a massive journey. And we're going to make sure that we have their trust, that they know they're safe along this journey. Anyway, Nathaniel is your classic skeptic. He doesn't think this is legit. And he says in verse 46, can anything, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Now I was trying to think of a modern day example of this, but I didn't want to offend anyone necessarily, depending on where you've come from. So just think for a moment in your head, don't tell anyone because you don't want to offend anyone yourself, of a place you think is a backwater place where nothing good can come from there. You're thinking this place is a place I would never want to live, ever, because it's just a horrible place to be. That's what Nathaniel is thinking about Nazareth. This is a place in which no one would come from, no son of God, no king of Israel. He is not, not even Jerusalem, not even Bethlehem. Nazareth? What is this place? So he is skeptical. But what does um, Philip do? Does Philip say, actually, here are the three reasons why you're wrong and, and this is why Jesus can come from Nazareth? No. Does Philip then go, well, let me invite you to a four-week course called Historical Jesus and you can find out why he is from Nazareth? No, he doesn't do that either. Does he say, well, let me introduce you to my minister and he can tell you why he is from Nazareth? No, he doesn't do that either. You know what he does? He says to him, come and see. Come and see. You've got questions. I've got questions. Come with me on this journey and you will begin to see as I see and you'll begin to know as I know. I think too quickly, too often, we as Christians, we just jump the gun and we get super excited about events and church and we go, hey, come to this event. Hey, come to this program. And we jump way ahead of where people are at and are ready for. And they have questions 
and we want to defend the faith. They have objections to who God is and what he has done and we want to try and get the answer straight away. But how are we supposed to do that when they haven't even encountered the Lord Jesus yet? They haven't seen him the way we have seen him. And so I think one of the first things we should do, if you've got someone who's got questions, someone who's got objections, don't try and answer them right there and there. Instead, invite them to come and see Jesus with you. Say to them, hey, have you ever read the Bible with someone? Has anyone ever opened up the Bible with you and showed you who Jesus is? Do you want to do that with me? Do you want to get coffee with me? And we'll read one of the stories of Jesus together. And then maybe you can begin to see what I see. That's what I would encourage us to do. And it's such a simple invitation. It's disarming. It's saying, let's go on the same journey together. Let's discover who Jesus is together. Now, this isn't a wishy-washy journey where all truth is thrown out and you're all trying to discover your own truth along this journey along the way. No, Philip had certainty about who Jesus was and where he had come from. He says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's going back through his theological training as a kid and going, yep, this is him that Moses spoke of. This is him the prophet spoke of. He's not just saying that, that he's just guessworking here. No, he's actually going back through all his thinking and reading of Scripture and thinking, yes, this makes sense. But not just that, by saying this man is a Jesus of Nazareth, he's saying he's a real person. You could come and meet him. You can look him up in the census data. He is there, a real living human being, and yet more than that as well. Come and see with me. It's not a journey towards wishy-washiness, the truth is relative kind of thing. You as the one who has seen and begin to see, you as the one who has the truth in front of you, you're just simply helping them along that journey as you open up the scriptures with them and reveal Jesus with them. And you yourself come to learn more and more with them as well. And they begin to see too. That's what happens in Nathaniel. We read later on that he began to see who Jesus was and was amazed. It's that simple, but sometimes still, it can still be daunting to do that kind of thing with other people. And that's where I want to move on now to the second point where we're talking about the fullness of seeing. I believe if when we're captured by the fullness of what we're seeing in Jesus, the one that we're trying to reveal it will be like looking at dolphins out to sea and being amazed at them. And the thing is, is that the glory of creation does not compare to the glory of Jesus, of God's Son, and what he has come to do for us. If we can get excited and pluck up the courage to talk to strangers about dolphins and whales, I'm sure we can do that when it comes to the good news of Jesus and inviting people to come along and see him. So the fullness of what we're seeing. Nathaniel approaching Jesus, Jesus says to him, He truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, Well, how do you know me so well? And Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. 
Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He is convinced, albeit very easily, that he is the Son of God. It only took Jesus to know where he was when he wasn't there and to know who he is, having never met him before, to convince him that he is the King of Israel and the Son of God. I mean, at this rate, I mean, any magician or sorcerer could convince Nathaniel that they were the Son of God, that they were the Messiah that was coming. I mean, it wouldn't be too hard, it seems. He's a very shallow skeptic. And it's a good reminder to us that when we begin to see Jesus, our belief, our conviction is, is at that shallow level. And for it to grow deeper and deeper, we need to see more and more of who Jesus is as he begins to unveil who he is to us. Jesus says, You believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things. That you there is actually plural in the Greek. So he's not just talking to Nathaniel, he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to us who are reading along as well. You all who have begun to see me, you all will see much greater things. And then he begins to explain what these greater things are in verse 51. Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Bit of a wacky vision. Not really sure when I first read that. I was like, what is he talking about? But if you've read uh, Genesis and you know your Old Testament well, he is taking on the dream of Jacob in Genesis 28 verse 12. Jacob had a dream about the Lord. The heaven was opened up. The Lord was standing at the very top and the ladder came down and angels going up and down that ladder and that ladder came onto the earth. And that dream signified to Jacob that God was affirming him that Jacob, that the nation of Israel would be the place in which God would make himself known on earth. That it would be through the nation of Israel that blessing would come to them and to the whole world. And as they established that place called Bethel, that house of God, that became the place in which, the reminder of which, God was making himself known to earth, to humanity, through God's people, Israel. And then, by extension, through the place of the temple, the tabernacle, these are the places in which heaven and earth were coming together and meeting, and which the people of God could enjoy God's blessing and hope. What Jesus is saying here is that this is beginning to be fulfilled in me. No longer is Israel, the whole nation, the place of which will represent God's presence on earth, but me, the one true Israelite, will be that. No longer is the temple the place to go to, but I'm the place to go to, to find and to see God. No longer is Bethel, no longer the law, that old grace has been fulfilled. I've come to fulfill it and you can find me and find grace in me as the one who has come from God indeed, who has brought heaven and earth together. Jesus Christ, God's son has come to make God known to us and he does that by coming down in flesh, uniting heaven and earth in his body taking on the weight of sin and shame for us in his own body 
and then breaking and destroying that bond for us so that we can have access to God. And we see that happen in John's gospel where the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom symbolizing that heaven has come down, symbolizing access for us to God, that we would see him. That's the purpose and point of John's gospel in its entirety, that we would be able to see God, know God, have forgiveness from him, eternal life that comes being with him. In John 1, 1, the word was with God and was God, that word being Jesus. In John 1, 14, the word became flesh and has dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. John said in, John's gospel says in chapter 20, the reason why he wrote this book, that we would see and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That we would know him and believe. And Jesus, being the one who brings heaven and earth together in himself, is the way he does that for us. By dying on the cross, he makes the way for us to know God. And the promise of blessing that was given to Israel long ago is now given to us as well. The blessing of life eternal, the blessing of peace and hope in the kingdom that is coming. And the reason why this vision is so good and so glorious and so amazing is because our world, the the Northern Beaches lifestyle is full of people who are broken and hopeless, people who are struggling, people who don't know where hope and life can be found. And they might have it all. But the secular dream that they have built for themselves might be beginning to crack as well. And as it begins to crack, they are possibly thinking, well, where can I go to find salvation? Where can I go to find hope? And we, as God's people, who have seen hope in Jesus Christ, can go, hey, do you want me to introduce you to Jesus? Where hope and life can be found. My encouragement to you as we close out this series in merging our universes is to be enamored by that vision of Jesus. To let it soak you into your soul, into your heart. To be so in awe of what he has done for you in bringing heaven and earth together, in making a way for you to know the living God and experience mercy and grace. And to let that vision just give you the courage the courage to go and invite your friends, your neighbours, what it might to go to them and say, hey, look, I know Jesus. Do you want to come see him with me? Do you want to read the Bible with me? Do you want to know the God that I know in Jesus Christ? That is my prayer for you guys. That's my prayer for myself. And the only way we'll get that courage is if we are enamoured by that vision of Jesus and what he's done for us. So we might invite people to come and to see. Come with me on this journey of seeing Jesus and maybe you'll begin to see what I see as well. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that you revealed yourself in your word. 
We thank you, Lord, that we have known, we can now know life and hope in your Son. We thank you that he has revealed himself to us by your Spirit and through the invitation of so many people in our life to come and see with them to see you. We pray, Lord, that you give us the boldness and the courage to go to our friends, to those who are seeking, to those who are not sure, Lord, to just invite them along to read the word together. Invite them on this journey that we ourselves are on. To have the courage, empowered and, and encouraged by the vision we have for you to invite people to come and to see your son. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. This song will be our offer tree.